nice people. Welcome back to the podcast and our radio show here at Bobo 89.1 FM. I am Bella Rooney, your host, and today we are continuing our new series called Nature Positive, which is sponsored by Sustainable K-Man. So each month we have been talking to new guests on a different subject relating to a move towards nature positivity. Last month we met with Courtney Platt and chatted about fisheries and the role that they play with our reef and populations and the role that plays in the future of K-Man. So make sure you check that out wherever you get your podcasts and over on YouTube. This month, we're sitting down with Senior Policy Advisor at the Ministry of Sustainability and Climate Resiliency, Ms. Lisa Hurlson McKenzie. <laughs> Love that grand last, grand last name. To chat a little bit about climate change. So hey, Lisa, how are you? I'm good, Bella. Thank you very much for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining us today. This is a very big topic. Yes, it is. It's kind of hard to encompass it in just one conversation. That's true. But we're going to cover the basics, kind of just the understanding, lay the foundation for people to kind of then go on and do their own research into the subject. So you have an absolutely amazing background working with people like RSPB, which is the Royal Society for Protection of Birds, um, working with the National Trust as the direct uh, National Trust and as the director of Cayman Offsets. And Cayman Offsets, just in case people aren't familiar, is an MPO that works to ease the transition to renewable energy future for the Cayman Islands by by helping to finance and expense changes to existing infrastructure, like increasing awareness of existing alternatives and other interesting stuff like that. So super cool, super interesting stuff, super important stuff, and makes you the right person to give us the 411 on climate change. So Boy. I'm no, sorry. No, no, no pressure there. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm sweating too. It's okay. So before we dive in, I'd love to get to know you a bit better. How did you become passionate about this and how have you found yourself in the position today at the ministry? Okay, yes, I will probably be dating myself here <laughs> um, in terms of my journey, but I guess um, I would have to say that it probably started at an age not dissimilar to yours or maybe a slightly younger um, when I was doing my first degree, and that was round about the time of the world famous Earth Summit mm -hmm. in Rio in 1992. Oh, wow. So, Yes, there's the baseline. No, no, no. There's the date. Age is wisdom. Age is wisdom. <laughs> but as many of you out there um, who know about the Earth Summit and sort of what fell out of that, which was none other than the, um, you know, the discussion about sustainable development mm -hmm. um, at its very basis, and um, the Forest Principles and the um, Agenda 21 uh, that came out of that, um, that uh, landmark summit and of course we've had two since then mm -hmm. um, marking you know the, the 2020 I suppose not even the 30 um, year anniversary of that um, of that summit but also the landmark sort of quote-unquote um, conventions or treaties that fell out of that one of which was the climate change um, framework mm -hmm. the UN climate change framework on, on climate change on um, Convention on Climate Change, but also the Convention on Biological Diversity, and the two have since been trying to work together to address what I suppose a lot of people nowadays call you know, the, the twin crises that you know the, the globe is facing in mm -hmm. terms of um, the climate emergency as well as the um, biodiversity loss mm -hmm. and trying to um, halt or at least um, reduce the rate um, of both of those things happening. Mm -hmm. So that was around about that time. So it's learning about it in, in, in uni and school anyway, but also in the summers I was working with the um, Mosquito Research and Control Unit here 
and I was very much interested in the climate change impacts on vector-borne diseases like dengue fever and mm -hmm. malaria. So then, fast forward a few years, when I got to university to do my um, master's degree, I was really invested in the, in the subject by that time, and particularly on the human health side of things, dealing with mm -hmm. dengue um, and, and other vector-borne diseases. But unfortunately, I didn't actually have a thesis supervisor to supervise any of my oh. um, work. So hmm. whilst I did continue to study it, I didn't end up doing um, my master's thesis on that. But then fast forward a few years later, when I was working at the Department of Environment, which um, I spent about 13 or 14 years there, and a few years into my civil service career, we partnered with um, the uh, an individual out of the Tyndall Centre for Climate Change Research, which is based in um, the UK at the University of East Anglia. And she and I became um, co-authors uh, along with a, a number of other people throughout the years on our climate change work, which was primarily focused on um, adaptation, uh, adaptation research, mm -hmm. and what people can do to lessen their vulnerability to climate change, um, either at an individual, household, community level, business level, and obviously um, on up through to the national scale. Mm -hmm. So that, in a nutshell, <laughs> a big, big old nutshell, is, is yeah, sort of my my journey over the last twenty eight years. Or wow, so. yeah. that's a lot. Yeah. That's a lot, and I mean, I guess that you've seen all the big changes that have been happening, all the momentum behind it that's been growing, and, and now I guess we find ourselves here today, which is really good that we're talking about it, and I know we have other things coming up with the government in terms of our climate change here. Um, so, okay, so before we get into all that too, let's just start with kind of a basic question on what is climate change, what does it mean? Because some people may still call it global warming, but why is climate change the correct term? Climate change is the correct term because it encapsulates so much more than global warming. Global warming um, and its converse, global cooling, mm -hmm. are two components of climate change, mm -hmm. you know, the yin and the yang, so to speak. And we just happen to be, for the last 10,000 odd years, coming out of uh, a cooling period mm -hmm. you know, for the entire world, um, based on when the last ice age supposedly ended, mm -hmm. and into a warming period. So that's a, a, a natural cycle mm -hmm. um, of, of, the, of the Earth. Um, but the sort of global warming um, craze and coining of the phrase really came as a result of all of the overwhelming scientific information that is now out there, has been out there for um, several decades now, um, not least of which by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, mm -hmm. that have been putting together um, these assessment reports, uh, probably starting from, I believe it was like 1988. Wow. Um, so we're now on to our sixth assessment uh, report as a global community. And, you know, where the evidence base year upon year and report upon report has just been building that whilst we might be in this natural cycle of, of warming, we definitely are seeing what they call a, a human signature or an anthropogenic signature mm -hmm. to climate change um, or to the global warming aspect of climate change. Starting, you know, no surprise, really, from the start of the Industrial Revolution back in 1750, 1800s, the thereabouts, um, certainly at least in Europe, in the, in the global north, so to speak, um, but also more recently um, in, in and around 1950, when we had 
better methods of recording not just air temperature data and sea temperatures, but also things like sea level rise measured not just through tide gauge and, and long-term tide gauge um, information and data sets, but also through satellite telemetry where we can you know, look down on the earth mm -hmm. and measure to almost minutia you know, the fact that um, the, the sea levels are rising and rising at slightly different rates depending on where you are, you know, around the, the globe and in different ocean basins and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, so the, the global warming is not inaccurate, mm -hmm. but it doesn't capture all of what climate change is. All the aspects. And then obviously beyond the science mm -hmm. itself, climate change captures basically that, that Climatic conditions are changing, weather patterns are becoming more unpredictable, uh, and what does that mean for you and I, what mm -hmm. does that mean for other people around the world, you know, that are going about their daily lives, whether they're working in an office but have to travel to and from work and they're finding, you know, heavier rainfall mm -hmm. patterns and, and flooding that has got worse over the years and over the course of their, you know, typical journey to work, um, or that, you know, areas are flooding in places that have never fled before, for mm -hmm. example, or if you work outside and it's just, you know, getting hotter and you have to be, you know, concerned about your hydration levels and your mm -hmm. sun exposure and your heat exposure and, and are our clinics and hospitals seeing more um, incidences of heat stress that mm -hmm. we have to deal with that's adding to the cost of healthcare, for mm -hmm. example. Um, or are we seeing damage to particular economic sectors, uh, such as agriculture and tourism mm -hmm. in the Caribbean in particular, which are extremely climate sensitive uh, economic sectors and upon which thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people's livelihoods depend. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not an, an overestimation or, um, you know, um, putting the, the fear of death in people, really, to right. say that climate change, you know, is just something, A, into the future, because it's happening now, we know that, but also that it, it is going to impact every facet of our lives, or it is impacting already. every facet of our lives already. Mm -hmm. It's just that some people, or some groups, or some countries may be more vulnerable to those changes than others, because either they are already in a state of being vulnerable just to normal, like I said, day-to-day -day weather mm -hmm. um, that will be exacerbated by climate change um, or that they just have more of a wherewithal to be able to address you know the those impacts and, and what they can do going forward to improve their you know their daily lives or their economic situations and so climate change maybe is is you know mm -hmm. less of a issue for them mm -hmm. at least at the forefront of their minds mm -hmm. because it might not necessarily change the way they go about their, their daily lives or perform their, their functions or you know, um, operate their businesses. But it is something for people to start thinking about. Right. I agree fully with <laughs> <laughs> everything you just said. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very much present. It's very hard to see, I think. I think because it moves on such as, well, here maybe it's hard to see. If you look around the world and you open your eyes to global news and what's happening, it's a bit easier to see. But if you're just living here and you're in your bubble, which we sometimes tend to be here in Cayman, you know, our island bubble, it's, it's, it's harder to see. So, and some people might not even understand why it's happening, right? So I wonder if you could tell us exactly what the main cause of climate change is. So I know we mentioned the natural cycles, right, that happen roughly every 100,000 years, something like that. But like you mentioned, the Industrial Revolution, what 
what about the industrial revolution is, is causing this? What's caught carbon is really what I'm getting at here, right? So like, what, what is it about climate change? What's making climate change happen? Well, there's a couple of different what they call climate drivers to climate change, okay. but um, as you rightly say, um, it's how much carbon for the most part, there are other, other greenhouse ones. gases mm-hmm. we can talk about, um, that's being put into the atmosphere as a result of um, manufacturing of various different products that we use every single day, this microphone, mm-hmm. this desk, you know, my uh, reusable water bottle, <laughs> like everything obviously takes energy to produce. Mm-hmm. And that energy for several hundreds of years have primarily been produced through the mining and extraction and distribution of coal to coal-fired um, power plants all over the world, um, as well as you know the use of diesel fuel of fossil fuel, which is primarily what we use here in the Cayman Islands to you know, power our power stations and you know, be able to fortunately turn the lights on, mm-hmm. have AC systems, that sort of thing. Um, so that's the, you know, the primary um, cause of, of the, the majority of what we mm-hmm. have put into our atmosphere as a result of, um, of our human activities, like I said, since the start of the Industrial Revolution, which of course, as you can appreciate, the, the amount of people we had on the planet back then versus mm-hmm. how many people we have now and the rate of population growth, which you know is paired with economic activity and the production of goods and services, as I said. So that all sort of is primarily driving climate change. But you know, there's other things that, that sort of are go along with that yeah. in terms of um, creating more cities, creating more Farms, whether they're for arable crops or whether they're for um, for uh, rearing cattle for beef, you know, the beef industry or what have you. So we typically see that happening in areas that once were forests mm-hmm. and now are converted to other land uses, whether it's for you know, um, cities or, or urban areas or mm-hmm. agricultural uses, as I said, and that is typically called deforestation. Right. So in the process of deforestation, usually it's slash and burn, so that mm-hmm. means you're burning yet again carbon, the carbon that's been locked up or mm-hmm. sequestered on an annual basis from very old growth forests in particular. And all of us, I think, remember, even when we were young, um, younger, the issue about the Amazon rainforest mm-hmm. and being the lungs of the earth. And then we've since you know, identified that there are other important forests throughout the world as mm-hmm. well, but that's you know, the baby that's the primary one. Um, and many countries around the world are trying different sort of mechanisms to help Brazil in particular right. you know, preserve the, the Amazon rainforest, but still allow their people to to have a quality of life and, and the same mm-hmm. amount of you know same amount of but still have progress and yeah. economic growth, but maybe in a different way than how other countries around the world mm-hmm. you know achieved that level of, of development and, and, and economic prosperity. Um, but then, so I think maybe some other people will will also know or also have heard about you know cows, might mm. methane, right? Methane production, which mm-hmm. is which the official term is called um, uh, enteric fermentation. Oh well, dang, <laughs> enteric fermentation. Yeah, but okay. I think we all know what that means, and yes, it is the production of methane that, that they expel. Um, and yeah, again, so that's tied to livestock rearing and agriculture. 
agricultural um, production, you say, well, you know, what, what's one cow? But mm. when you think of, you know, the industry on a global scale, mm -hmm. um, and like I said, when it's paired with how, you know, that land use for that purpose actually came to be, whether they had to cut down a forest to do mm -hmm. it, whether they had to burn that forest in order to cut it down, that sort of thing. So there's that, um, and methane is, um, is a much more potent greenhouse gas than um, carbon dioxide and wild state, and it's naturally occurring as well. Mm -hmm. um, so wild state might not have the same sort of um, volume of concentrations in the atmosphere, the fact that it is more potent over its, its lifespan than CO2. That's what the consideration is. It's, it's um, along with a few others like uh, anthropogenic black carbon mm -hmm. and um, the uh, HFCs, the hydrofluorocarbon. Mm -hmm. Those are what's called short-lived uh, climate pollutants. So they're shorter lived in the atmosphere mm -hmm. than carbon dioxide, but they're more potent when they're in the atmosphere. So if, and I think I saw that you had attended COP27, yes. so you may remember mm -hmm. hearing about the methane pledge, for example, and the, the fact that you know methane does contribute to uh, global warming and to climate change. So equally focusing on these short-lived gases like methane and trying to reduce and or avoid them getting into the atmosphere or even into the oceans um, is, is just as important as dealing with the carbon dioxide issue of the sources of carbon dioxide mm -hmm. because because the effect on the climate system and being able to sort of slow mm -hmm. you know climate change and, and to slow down what's already for lack of a better term baked into mm -hmm. our climate processes because of the amount of emissions that we've put into the atmosphere mm -hmm. over 250 years or so plus what's naturally occurring there of course um, that that will have a, a somewhat more immediate effect on being able to potentially arrest some of those processes so that's why methane and some of these short-lived but potent greenhouse gases are just as important to um, tackle when it comes to climate change mm -hmm. um, as carbon dioxide. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, the chemistry of the atmosphere is quite... <laughs> yes, and I'm not a, a climate scientist by any measure no, but that of was the perfect. imagination, but you know, the, the sources of some of these gases, apart from methane, but like the um, HFCs, the F gases that I spoke about, um, they're things that... Um, are found in refrigerants, mm -hmm. so our cooling mm -hmm. systems, whether they're commercial cooling systems, industrial cooling systems, or even our household um, air conditioners, um, in blowing agents for spray foam mm -hmm. and fire retardants. Wow. So, you know, whilst we may not, well, whilst we obviously don't produce mm -hmm. these things here, for example, in a small, small island like, like the Hidden Islands, but we use these products. So it's not just the the emissions from the production of these products and, and the raw materials that go into all of these, but it's also in terms of some of these gases, the uses of them um, that still end up getting into the atmosphere mm -hmm. and, and adding to the global concentrations. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, right, where these um, emissions are coming from mm -hmm. per se, because mm -hmm. it all gets up into the same place. Here, right, <laughs> the same place. Yeah. So that's why it's important for us all to do, you know, our work together. Our best yeah. is to work together to reduce them. Now, obviously, there are some <laughs> very clear sources yeah. of where these emissions are coming from, 
um, obviously the larger industrial nations mm -hmm. of, of the world, um, but that's not to say that, that we aren't contributing to the overall problem as Which well. I was actually going to ask you about that too, because that's that's a very that's a very good point. And so, for anyone who might not know, I'll give you like a little brief when when these greenhouse gases are trapped. Basically, it 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 heat it traps in the warmth and it warms the it warms the inside of it warms our planet. It traps it, all the heat that comes from the sun and it traps it in just like a greenhouse. Um, so anything that would exist naturally would be trapped anyway, but we create so much that it becomes trapped and it can't escape, and so we just start warming accelerated starts accelerating. And like you said, which I also don't think people might not realize, is that it's not about stopping climate change, it's about slowing climate right. change. Because we can't stop it. We can't stop it, especially not at this point. But we can yeah. slow it, right? Yeah. yeah, You're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's important to remember that there are natural greenhouse gases yeah. out there. Mm -hmm. the, the most abundant one is water vapor, which mm -hmm. people don't really think about. Um, and I mean, that contributes to, I think it's something like a third or a half of, of all greenhouse gases up there, but it's not, you know, so as potent yes, as, right. as, as carbon dioxide. Um, but yet, but we need greenhouse gases, we need is what you said, the greenhouse effect mm -hmm. to actually warm the planet and make mm -hmm. it livable for us. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it would be too cold. Mm -hmm. um, but the issue is the rate at which humans have caused and are continuing right. to cause that greenhouse effect to just go into overdrive right. to the point where we're seeing in some desert climes, um, especially mm -hmm. around the world, you know, upwards of 40, 45 degrees centigrade on a daily basis. Australia, people, yeah, just recently. Wildfires, people reporting the fact that they, you know, can't have to wear gloves to touch their, mm -hmm. their door handles to get into their own homes, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because it's so hot. hot. Um, certain periods of mm -hmm. the day and you know appreciably some of those um, anecdotes but also we have temperature records in those cities and right. countries to support this are are somewhat temporary in that it will spike one year um, but but then not get necessarily as hot in another year mm -hmm. and that's called climate variability mm -hmm. right so it's climate change and climate mm -hmm. variability um, but on a whole the trend has been for over a hundred years very clearly warming in both the atmosphere and in the upper levels of our oceans. Mm -hmm. Right, which is a <coughs> also an issue we can get to, because exactly. <laughs> that's an issue for us for sure, right? So, okay, we'll move on a little bit into how it's kind of affecting us. So, island nations, you know, like ourselves, um, what are the threats it poses? So, obviously, you just mentioned the ocean warming, which has a bunch of different uh, effects, right? Um, yeah, what are the main things for us? You know, we have our hurricanes, we have our weather patterns, we have our, yeah, what are the main threats? So I don't want to keep talking. <laughs> no, 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 you're absolutely right. There are, there are so many, mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's sort of hard to know where to start, but mm -hmm. if we did start with the oceans and, uh, you know, what's in our oceans, particularly, um, we're blessed with our wonderful, beautiful coral reefs mm -hmm. um, that people travel from, you know, thousands of miles away and spend, you know, we do know how much money they spend um, <laughs> here to, to, yes, to see and partake of them and appreciate mm -hmm. them, um, as well as all the you know, uh, biodiversity that, that's on our reefs um, and into our coastal lagoons mm -hmm. and, and, and elsewhere. And so that's a very, um, 
that's a very important part of not just our life here and, and our identity as island peoples, right. but obviously mm -hmm. our um, marine and coastal tourism mm -hmm. um, resources, our recreational um, you know, resources that we can't forget about, uh, which contributes to our overall well-being, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially um, coming out of a period of COVID. I think everybody probably appreciates more our beaches and, mm -hmm. our, and our reefs and the fact that we can still go out and be able to, for the most part, catch, you know, the, the fish and the other species that we have mm -hmm. been, you know, um, that we've been able to catch for generations. And hopefully we'll continue to do so. But yeah, that so that that's kind of what I'm talking about. These are aspects of our lives that can be impacted by stronger hurricanes, which is what's predicted. Maybe not necessarily more frequent storms, mm. but when we have storms, they, they will more than likely be the um, stronger in terms of winds, wind intensity, and the amount of rainfall. And I think we even uh, you know saw that in the last few years with Hurricane Grace, yeah. Ida, perhaps maybe even Ian, I was off island for that one, but you know, I did see these pictures that were coming into mm. me, um, even in, in my neighborhood, um, which is a low-lying area. Um, so, you know, we have to start thinking about, obviously, the, the, the main things that we hear about every, every hurricane season, fortifying our, our properties, um, our, our homes, our businesses, um, if you do own a business, having a, you know, business continuity plans, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but also in terms of going back to the actual natural resources that help to protect, especially coastal property and coastal infrastructure, our coral reefs. And we know that they, they take a beating you know, mm -hmm. when it comes to hurricanes, mm -hmm. and, and it takes you know, uh, quite a long time for them to recover um, from damage caused by hurricanes, but whatever we can do as a community and as a nation to be able to ensure that they're as healthy as possible before they have to face that type of a threat, that we just can't go out there and hold our hands and say, nope, stop hurricane. No, you know, not really. Somewhere else, we can't Blow do that. <laughs> but yeah. we can give our reefs and our reef systems um, a helping hand mm -hmm. um, by obviously observing the marine conservation laws, mm -hmm. um, and just being responsible users of of our natural environment on, on a whole, not just our reefs, but you know, um, everything, everything, everything that yeah. makes yeah, because it, yeah. it it all works together. You know. Yes, it's all very linked, right? And I think that was um we just recently had our I think that was last year we had our risk assessment, our climate mm -hmm. risk assessment come back. Um, I remember that, and I remember there was at the end they had a summary of kind of the three main risks that we would that was identified by local and regional experts here. Um, one being the disruption of turtle distribution um, and the population dynamics, one being a decline in coral reef structure and integrity, as you mentioned, and then one being an increased frequency and severity of coral bleaching and coral disease outbreaks, which is all what you just said, right? All the things that make turtles a part of our culture, a part of our natural habitat, part of the way of reefs work, right? And, and, and hurricane blockades, essentially, right? So these are the main threats to us. So what are we doing right now as a nation to mitigate them? Well, yeah, um, I did want to highlight at the end. There we go. This is the, the um, sort of, we call it the glossy version um, that's <laughs> on the ministry's uh, microsite that deals primarily with the climate change, the climate change risk assessment and information about the, um, the draft climate change policy mm -hmm. that will be up there mm -hmm. um, in, the, in the very near future which 
talks about you know, some of the things that we can do to mitigate not just those risks, but the other 47 odd risks that, um, that were identified, although we're primarily only looking at a subset of those that, that have been identified with a good level of confidence to be ones that we really should be focusing on in, in, you know, over the next um, decade for sure. Um, but then building out from there as well, because we don't mm -hmm. want to be, be sort of caught with our pants down mm -hmm. um, if we mm -hmm. don't look at certain things. And of course, the policy will talk about um, how often it will be reviewed and that sort of thing to, to hone in on whether you know some of the risks that were identified before as just being moderate are now should now be um, upgraded, mm -hmm. for example, to be severe. So we have 18, right. um, 18 severe risks that, that primarily the, the climate change but yeah, so there are things like, like what we were sort of starting to talk about before in terms of um, ensuring that our natural assets are, are valued, mm -hmm. um, are, um, are protected mm -hmm. as best as possible, and whether that's you know, through legislation or policy or just good stewardship on a day-to-day mm -hmm. -day basis by you, me, and everybody else that lives here and, and utilizes them. And, and in ways that you might not realize you utilize them through the ecosystem services that they provide to us, like you said, whether they help regulate our climate mm -hmm. or whether they help protect our coastal property um, or you know whether they're a provisioning um, type of service, mm -hmm. like the fish that provide us with food, mm -hmm. that provide us with, um, with a, an angling or sporting uh, industry or sector of that uh, um, tourism economy that, that rely on um, so that we can continue to have um, you know um, angling events that, that bring um, boaters and anglers to our shores mm -hmm. each year that sort of thing um, so yeah so it's it's those types of um, policy levers that mm -hmm. we're looking at but it's also things that um, we may need to invest in a little bit more mm -hmm. not just mm -hmm. in terms of what I think people generally tend to think of when they think of addressing the impacts of climate change and particularly hurricanes like oh we have to build more sea defenses or more sea walls mm. so there 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 may be definitely a need to look at that further we did that in some areas along the coast after hurricane ivan for example um, but it would be surely preferable if there are natural buffers in place be they coral reefs seagrass meadows extensive seagrass meadows mangrove areas um, that can help us with the buffering of some of these waves and storm surges and, and wind-driven wave action that what we tend to say is create a, a greater envelope of, of water that comes onto our beaches and our shores and, and impacts you know our property but it's not just that it's it's other I want to say sort of lesser thought of or softer type of interventions where um, we may not fully, like you said, appreciate because we can't necessarily see these mm -hmm. things, but what's happening around the rest of the world mm -hmm. that might be impacting us or might have an impact on us, particularly yes. in terms of other areas for tourism destinations that might open up because they are becoming warmer. So it might not necessarily be that people want to travel to the hot, humid Caribbean. I have never thought about that. So, That's very interesting. But right. you know, likewise, in in mountain regions, mm. they're finding that you know there's some years that they don't have a lot of snow. So right. those 
mountainous uh, ski resorts, you know, they're, they're suffering on a, on yeah. a different end of the Very. spectrum there mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, our financial services sector mm -hmm. where we're seeing, and I'm not a financial services expert by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but, you know, we're, we're trying to get a uh, firmer grasp on climate risks to that sector. Um, but then the, the global financial system on a whole, not only in terms of the physical risks that mm -hmm. we sort of spoke about, where you know, the brick and mortar mm -hmm. banks and that sort of thing are, but, but also in terms of the transitional risks that um, globally are, are everybody's trying to wrap their heads around, particularly when it comes to countries putting in their, their um, net zero policies and transitioning off of fossil fuels, so decarbonizing the investment portfolios, that sort of thing. Um, and what does that trickle down you know, mean to um, places that typically rely on some of these you know, high-level investments mm -hmm. for, mm -hmm. um, for building up infrastructure that has typically been carbon intensive? And is there a way to um, transition some of those those funds that used to go to those carbon intensive sectors or projects to adaptation to reducing the vulnerability of you know small islands, low lying uh, countries, um, less developed countries and communities, um, those that you know have indigenous populations that have been disadvantaged for generations, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so it's it's. I'm, I'm rushing through it, but I'm just trying to give yeah, you yeah. sort of like the broad strokes of, of other climate risks that people may not generally tend to think of. And like you said, some of them are quite remote from a small island perspective, but the, the cascading impact could be felt or seen here just because of the, the mere fact that we, you know, we do have um, tourism as a extremely climate sensitive mm -hmm. um, sector, but we also heavily rely upon, you know, financial services sector to carry us through mm -hmm. things that don't have anything to do with climate, um, <laughs> right. like the, the COVID shock and, and right. other sort of mm -hmm. economic recessions in other countries that, you know, that have trickled down to having impacts on us one way or another. So this is what we talk about when we say that everything kind of nowadays has to be looked at through a climate change lens, uh -huh. because what's already an issue for us may continue to be an issue for us if we don't have you know, those things sorted out, but but apply climate change on top of that, mm -hmm. it may or may not, mm -hmm. you know, worsen mm -hmm. the situation, but it just may worsen it, and we need to have an understanding of how much more, you know, yeah. th those things will, will get um, exacerbated as a result of climate change for us, and, you know, let's let's think ahead, ahead of how we can either head those off at the past, mm -hmm. or be able to make our social systems, economic systems, natural systems, much more resilient to those shocks and be able to not just bounce back, but hopefully bounce forward yeah. in a more, you know, sort of regenerative way than, than we've been doing um, in the past. Right, and so you mentioned Global North earlier because one thing that I also do hear a lot sometimes when just talking to anybody, you know, who might not know much about climate change or anything, which is fine, right? That's the point of the podcast, guys. <laughs> the point is to learn more about it. but they might say, well, why is this our problem? And as you mentioned, you mentioned the Global North, right? And I just wonder if you could explain what that what that is, number one. And then number two, why, why it is important for them to take responsibility, whoever 
you know, this body of the Global North is, you know, we are vulnerable as an island nation to the activities of the Global North. But then when you look at being the 25th highest country, including industrialized nations in the world, just us, is number 25 out of what, how many countries? 195 countries and we're number 25. Like, we definitely have responsibilities, right? So we can't say, oh, but this isn't our problem. So I wonder if you could just explain what the Global North is, but then why it is relevant to us here to make the change, because being 25th country in the world, right? So, yeah, just explain that if you could. That, that I guess, really comes out of, you know, 25, 30 years of, um, of United Nations um, sustainable development and climate change negotiations. That's mm. a term that, that's often used, and, and it's kind of antiquated now, mm -hmm. um, because the, the lines of, of division and delineation as to who is north and who is south anymore. I mean, it used to just bare bones represent northern hemisphere from southern hemisphere. Because it used to be a line they could draw. And right. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, essentially the equator, but you know, yeah. just slightly <laughs> give or take that. Yeah. yeah, give or take. And yes, because primarily the countries of the world that we think of today as the industrialized or, or advanced economies or developed nations you know, kind of got there on the, the backs and the natural resources and the labor of people that they either um, had as, as, you know, as colonies, mm -hmm. um, or where a lot of their, their main basis of either extraction or production, you know, was located in the quote-unquote global south, which you know, left those areas um, impoverished, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, still to this day struggling with generational poverty and, and, and huge debt mm -hmm. that, you know, the nations carry that um, they either have to repay at, you know, exorbitant um, interest rates or what have you or come under some sort of, you know, IMF um, uh, structural um, adjustment system to, you know, pay back back all of that debt so it comes out of all of that sort of mm -hmm. developmental um, economics and and but yes it, it did get transferred over into like I said the climate change mm -hmm. framework and that sort of thing because back in 1992 mm -hmm. the Rio Earth Summit and all of that discussion was taking place at the time so um, you'll even see in the like the Kyoto Protocol that falls out of the, the Climate Change Convention, which is now several decades old and is sunsetting because we now have the Paris Agreement that's right. taking over the mm -hmm. post-2020 um, climate change or climate action agenda. Um, you'll, you'll even see in the Kyoto Protocol where they, they talk about um, economies in transition, and most of those had been like the Eastern European bloc, mm -hmm. um, post-Soviet Union era, that, that type of thing. Some of them have, have done very well, but in the convention itself, because the convention is now so dated, mm -hmm. um, they they may be considered um, still developing countries rather than developed countries, even though their economies, you know, speak to them being, you know, mm -hmm. with with the GDP, how we tend to measure that's how we measure it, right? progress, yeah. you know, GDP per capita. So that then comes in some ways to your question about the Cayman Islands and and where we generally tend to rank in terms of per capita carbon emissions. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, um, yes, it's something that, that we address not only in the climate change, um, we hope to address in the climate change policy, but also the national energy policy that's mm -hmm. um, under review uh, as well this year. Um, but it's something that 
you should just be mindful of how you read statistics sometimes and just um, be a little informed in terms of where the raw data is coming from in, in order to, um, you know, to understand how they've ranked us. Mm -hmm. So it's not to say that you know we're doing much better than 25 or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. worse, um, but it's just sometimes a, that information tends to be old, it tends to be maybe from the um, World Bank and they, they use the CIA book data for that. So it's not necessarily data that they get from the countries themselves, it's just whatever they can find mm -hmm. at the time. And sometimes it is, sometimes they do reach out to the um, Economics and Statistics Office or whatever statistics office mm -hmm. in, in the country. Um, but it is fair to say that at least for us, we, we know what our per capita emissions are because mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that we have to produce on an annual basis uh, as we're an affiliate party to the Climate Change um, Convention and the Kyoto Protocol is our greenhouse gas um, inventory. And we provide that information to the compilers of the UK's inventory because we fall under the UK as do other overseas territories that have asked to be signed up to these um, conventions and protocols and the Crown Dependencies as well. So we have a fairly good um, idea as to our overall greenhouse gas emissions and the breakdown per sector, whether it's from waste, so mm -hmm. we're management mm -hmm. and you know what our cattle and so forth are producing, um, or whether it's from our, of course, major contributor, which is our power sector, mm -hmm. energy right. sector. Um, so is that 15? Is that the, that's the latest number I so heard. We have a more recent um, inventory than that, and we're actually just waiting for the 2021 one to come in now mm -hmm. because it's always a bit uh, a bit delayed mm -hmm. um, that they report to the UNFCCC Secretariat. But it, in 2019, I believe the overall greenhouse gas footprint was uh, somewhere around 17, 17.1. Okay. And of that, 15 point something was um, carbon dioxide. I gotcha. I see. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So that's a, that's a good point. That's another mm -hmm. thing to always sort of bear in mind when people are talking about carbon. Are they talking about carbon? Mm -hmm. Are they talking about carbon dioxide? Mm -hmm. Or are they talking about all greenhouse gas um, emissions, which t generally tends to be captured as CO2E mm -hmm. or CO2 equivalent. So then you know that it's talking about all gases. It's talking about CO2, it's talking about methane, mm -hmm. nitrous oxide, the three F gases, four F gases now that we report under the Kyoto Protocol and the Doha Amendment to that Kyoto Protocol. Interesting. So yeah, it's again, it's always, you know, we can say 25th in the world, but it depends what you're talking about. <laughs> right? It depends if you're talking about carbon yeah. or are you talking about? But, but you know, we are high. We're high. We are, we are high. high for a country our size. Yeah. And a, a lot of that is to do with the quality of life, the standard mm -hmm. of living that we have here, which you know we're very fortunate for and very thankful of. Um, but it's how we produce, like I said um, before, how mm -hmm. we produce our energy that turns our lights on mm -hmm. reliably mm -hmm. every day, pretty much. Um, the, the that's the majority of our mm -hmm. emissions nationally as well as on an individual basis. The second most um, emission source for us are uh, our transportation emissions, and I think it's no surprise <laughs> when we think of you know the traffic congestion, particularly yep. on Grand Cayman, and coming from the Eastern Districts every day and, and every evening, um, single-use vehicles, mm -hmm. um, and other you know we need to build out our, our public transportation system, mm -hmm. which hopefully more people would use if they find it to be you know, a more reliable source. Keep and your fingers crossed for that. Yeah. It would be great. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, 
there, there are things that we, we know that we need to, to mm -hmm. be doing collectively. Um, and, you know, what also culturally makes sense for us and, right. and physically makes sense for islands. You know, we you, you have a lot of um, people that talk about um, different things that they see in either other island nations that may be bigger mm -hmm. um, or, um, or other jurisdictions that aren't islands yeah. that work for them, but do those sorts of things work for us? Uh, yeah, yeah. So that those are you know the, the considerations that we have to take um, into into play here. Um, but then yes, the the next um, the next contributor down, I believe, on the inventory would be things like our waste and, and handling our waste management, and that's not, not just solid waste, like I said, but but also in terms of um, agricultural waste. And, mm -hmm. <coughs> so it's it's every sector yep. that we need to look at, every aspect, again, yep. like, like our climate risk, every aspect of our lives and how we're producing these emissions. Yep. But obviously some are some activities are much more um, emissions generating than others and right. those are the ones that obviously we should we should concentrate on first and foremost. And as you said, we're all sharing the same atmosphere, right? Yep. So regardless of who's I guess responsible for the biggest changes in terms of climate change, or you know, um, everybody has a part to play. Um, and you actually mentioned public transport, which leads us kind of into this kind of next question about the importance of our mangroves. We've mentioned mangroves a few times. We've mentioned them for you know our little battle <laughs> station to beat the waves, everything like that. But right now our mangroves are slightly at risk. We do have some parts, obviously you know, saved and, 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 and the National Trust have saved certain parts of mangroves and stuff, but mangroves are an important, and seagrass both, are an important carbon sink, right? So they capture and they absorb carbon in the air, um, if we're just talking about the carbon aspect, climate change. So I guess my question is the potential for this new EWA road, what effects could that have? That, that climate change and biodiversity go hand in hand, right? So. What effects could we see as a result of this new road, which has been debated on whether it would make a positive impact or not, right? I think we're waiting for a bit more information on that. Um, but what would that have on our climate change issues here? Would that affect the way that our weather works? Well, I think any major capital project, whether it's a road, a port, um, a new town somewhere, um, a, a school or business complex, I think we have to start looking at all of these major developments uh, and major infrastructural projects and even on a smaller scale as well, on, a, on an individual basis, mm -hmm. right. you know, where you're building your house. Exactly that. Yeah. Where are these things being proposed? Where are they being located in, in our mm -hmm. islands? Not just Grand Cayman, but, but our sister islands well, A, because of just, you know, the, the realities of it being a small landmass, right. but also, like you said, in terms of the competing um, land uses that are, that are either there mm -hmm. or surrounding where these, these projects are being proposed. Some of them are, are mangroves, which of course are important, like you said, for um, carbon sinks, so that's one of the sort of regulating functions that we talked about earlier, um, but also as um, protection from, from storms. Um, so provisioning services, 
but there's also you know our dry forests yeah. which are equally important from a biodiversity yes. point of view mm -hmm. maybe lesser so for storing and sequestering carbon but mm -hmm. they still have value there and that's what i was talking about earlier about ensuring that we've properly adequately valued our natural assets which we have started to do now under mm -hmm. our natural capital um, counts mm, that is cool. going through yet another um, iteration the third iteration, um, and, and really utilizing those, um, those bits of information and data in proper climate risk assessments, mm -hmm. um, and whether they're part of or, or um, complementary to environmental impact assessments, um, uh, cost-benefit analyses, mm -hmm. you know, any other kind of risk management framework mm -hmm. which frankly, we should be doing anyway, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and making sure that we have all the information in hand as best as possible mm -hmm. um, from not just climate scientists, not just, not just from, you mm -hmm. know, um, ecologists and, and transportation planners and, you know, architects and engineers and, and you know, the mm -hmm. whole gamut of stakeholders that, that produce a, either a good project or should say in what goes into a good, yeah. sustainable, climate resilient, yeah. low <laughs> carbon. Um, Look at all those keywords. Yeah, <laughs> buzzwords, but you know, they, they, they mean something. They do, they, they do. Know. And that's why um, a lot of these um, frameworks now um, really try to hone in on what do those mean, what's the criteria, um, whether you really want to test it out um, to the point where you get third-party verification mm -hmm. from an international independent body for some of these things, such as you know green building um, certifications and, and that sort of thing, um, which can be done for homes, but entire neighborhoods, entire campuses, um, and you know other types of certification systems for even um, infrastructural projects that utilize, for example in a mangrove area, um, uh, elevated bridges, mm -hmm. elevated you know, walkways um, in order to be able to preserve the hydrology you know, uh, of the area. Um, uh, or, you know, again, whatever the existing um, considerations are for mm -hmm. that area that you might want to apply if it's not a mangrove area. Said mangroves are important, but yeah. you know that's not the only important yeah. um, um, natural area or biome. Um, our freshwater resources as well, and our freshwater yes. uh, aquatic habitats mm -hmm. would they become more salinated as a result of sea level rise? Yes. yes. Would we want to exacerbate that by bringing seawater closer to those areas as a result of a road or a canal or Marina coming further inland, you know, these are all the considerations that, that we have to think of. The projects mm -hmm. in, in and of themselves may not necessarily be bad, mm -hmm. but where they are being proposed mm -hmm. is, is the issue. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, definitely the application of a climate risk assessment to, you know, those types of projects, because at the end of the day, even if it wasn't climate risk, um, it was just, like I said before, maybe a um, decision that you know should have been sort of looked at uh, much more with much more scrutiny mm -hmm. um, from a sustainable development point of view uh, it's much more costly to try and 
you know, remediate something. It's almost impossible. Once it's happened. And in some cases, yes, yeah. in terms of natural resources and natural yeah. assets, it's it's almost impossible yeah. to to replant. And even if you did, the the benefits of that replanting might not even be reaped by you and I in our right. lifetime. It might be another two generations down the line. You yeah. know, which is why many um, cultures around the world um, look at, and, and they happen to be indigenous cultures or aboriginal cultures mm -hmm. that have a, you know, have continued to have um, quite a close connection mm -hmm. with the environment around them, with, with Mother Earth or whatever they happen to call her right. or it, you it's know, because right. it goes by so many different names. Mm -hmm. um, they really have this ingrained into their cultural psyche, mm -hmm. and, and they really do make these decisions as best as possible, you know, for not just here and now, you know, that type of short-termism, not even for one or two generations that they will hopefully see as in their yeah. great grandkids, but they really do tend to think of it much more long-term, you know, of the decisions that they're making and, and, and really what they consider to be stewardship of, yes. um, of their environment because their lives have been so intricately linked to you know the environment around them and the world in which they live because they have not necessarily been people that have the means to import goods and services mm -hmm. from elsewhere so they have to rely upon what they can get mm -hmm. around them for their day-to-day -day existence when you're that much more removed from those processes, I think you don't probably appreciate them that much until you maybe come to try to be a backyard gardener and find out, you know, how difficult and crushing it is, you know, when, um, yeah, your peppers haven't survived because, it's too hot. you know, it's, no rain. it's too hot. Yeah. Or conversely, you know, you didn't adequately protect them from the deluge of rainfall yeah. that, you know, mm -hmm. you got in one event. Right, exactly. And again, that's, you know. And those are, again, so. micro things that you might not yeah. notice or even realize. Right. But oh. then you might stop to think, you know, okay, mm -hmm. next year, March, or next year, September, whatever, yeah. Maybe I should pull these in. Maybe I should cover, you know, cover yeah. this with plastic, or you know, maybe I shouldn't try these seeds again because yeah. I didn't have much success. You know, so they look, for me anyway, it's a trial and error. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think when people start to think along those lines, then they think, oh yeah, I do see something happening with mm -hmm. the weather, or you know, fisher folk in particular, mm -hmm. if if they're not getting the catch that they used to get, you know, when mm -hmm. they were kids in particular, but even maybe say five, ten years ago, or they have to go further afield yeah. using, you know, more gasoline more in their boats, you know, just more to catch, expensive. exactly, yeah. just to catch the same thing, yeah. or if they're water sports operators and they're finding that they have to go to, you know, different areas or further, further away to have their guests, you know, experience what they used to experience, but yeah. didn't take, like you said, as long to get there or yeah. whatever, I think. If people really thought about their day-to-day -day goings about, they would be able to say, oh yeah, that is different from yeah. when I grew up here, or yeah, that is different from when I first moved to the islands. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah, it's all-encompassing, mm -hmm. really. And then we're all so interconnected, and, um, <clears throat> and in terms of how we look after and steward these incredibly important areas is something that people need to take into consideration and, and, and think about. And so I guess we can kind of end on that. I know you guys have a public consultation coming up, right? So I just wonder if you could tell us a bit about that. And then, like, what would be some of the easiest 
ways that people could kind of start making a difference, do you think, themselves? Uh, right, yeah. So hopefully uh, by mid-April, so I guess after the Easter break, everybody can enjoy their Easter, <laughs> um, you may be hearing more about the public consultations for the updated uh, climate change policy, which we're putting the finishing touches on now. And um, they will hopefully be able to attend um, the public meetings that we will be having in all five districts in the Grand Cayman as well as in Little Cayman and Cayman Brac. So I would just say to stay tuned to social media, particularly mm -hmm. the ministry social media and government in general, um, in terms of what you know when those dates are, the venues for those um, those meetings and there'll be an opportunity obviously there and then to be able to feedback to mm -hmm. um, to the ministry staff and, and the whole group of um, departments that fall under our ministry that are going to be there to be able to answer questions um, but also to the digital feedback form that we will have on the website uh, which um, if any of your listeners out there are interested to already take a look at some of the background information to this, like the climate change risk assessment. Yeah, that we'll link that out. too. Yeah, so that's gov.ky forward slash sustainability forward slash climate change policy, all one word. Um, <laughs> and also on that um, site, just uh, just to note, there are some of the resources that I mentioned, some of the IPCC reports mm -hmm. um, and fact sheets that deal just with small islands or just with the Caribbean that people might be interested in. Um, as well as um, regional body reports, um, State of the Caribbean Report 2020, that's a good one to look at. Cayman is actually referenced in some of the modeling um, information there, and then uh, some of the background details to the old climate change policy and where we've come since then. So that's the public consultation. There'll be m much more on that, I think, as we build out the, the communications uh, plan. And um, yes, I'd say stay tuned to listen to that. And just another thing about the climate change um, hub at the moment, well, we're, we're calling it the microsite for the ministry at the moment, but we hope that it will be a climate change hub, that it will be mm -hmm. sort of your one-stop shop for, I wouldn't like to say all things climate change, but I would like to say yeah, all things know, climate yeah. change, <laughs> certainly in, in the Cayman Islands, and it's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. um, but for it to be that sort of clearinghouse um, that you can go to for information about climate change in general, at sort of the global level, mm -hmm. IPCC report type level, mm -hmm. regionally, and linked to the um, uh, resources that you can find at the um, Caribbean Community Climate Change Center out of Belize, who we We've worked along with in the past and very generously um, lent their expertise to the first climate change um, mm -hmm. policy, and the 2011 policy and the vulnerability and capacity assessment that we did back then, mm -hmm. um, and the technical uh, report, uh, but also to you know things that are very Cayman specific, which mm -hmm. we do have resources. They're not up yet, but we do have um, some of the resources from from that uh, initiative back in 20. 2007 to 2011, but um, but also you know other peer-reviewed uh, papers that have been produced either by myself or members of the Department of Environment or what have you, and other you know mm -hmm. other things that have been written that we may not yet know about. So mm -hmm. if there are things out there, master's theses, that sort of thing, mm -hmm. that you know um, individuals would like to share with us, that's yeah. sort of the idea that love that we would um, hope that this hub will eventually 
grow into, and so I would just say yes, watch this space and <laughs> see see what what much more it can um, it can provide to the wider community, businesses, that sort of thing. In terms of what people can do, you know, helpful um, guide. Yeah. Books and fact and that sort of thing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be super hard, right? Exactly. It, it, it can come Just down the little little day to day things. Yeah. As we always say, you know, yeah. um, if all of us are doing something, then then the needle will be moved. Exactly. And uh, you know, as you, as I mean, my whole environmental journey, <clears throat> myself, I start learning the bigger things that I can do to protect the island. Like I know I can do the little things. I know I can switch my lights off. I know I can carpool. I know I can, you know, maybe eat less meat and stop contributing, you know, that way and stuff like that. But then I, I look at things like we are mangroves and I go, oh, you know, like I think the I, I, ISBC report, IPC, IPC yeah. report, I know they mentioned that one of the best ways to, to fix climate change or to help slow climate change is to protect our forests and our mangroves. And so I go, oh, look at a road like the EWA, like do we need it, do we need to think about it, things like that, like it, those are the bigger changes, but I think everybody starts small, start small. Mm -hmm. And, and understand that you have a say in it, right? Because it's your future. It's quite literally linked to your future and your kids and their kids and everybody to come. Um, so thank you so much for coming in to kind of give us a base today. You're welcome. I hope everybody feels like they have some ground to work with. Lots of ground. I feel like I have lots of ground now. Um, and I mean, you're a busy lady. We'll let you go. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you. And yeah, I'd love to come back. Oh, well, we'll have you back. We'll have you back after the public consultation, because I'm sure it would be really interesting to hear what people on our island have to say about it and what they want from it, right? So that'll be super interesting. Well, thank you so much again to yourself and to DMS Broadcasting and Bobo 89.1 FM and my pal Ryan Kirkaldi here from Retrospect Media for capturing all of this. Um, a big thank you to Sustainable Cayman for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. And remember, Sustainable Cayman is a nonprofit organization promoting conservation and environmental sustainability to create a flourishing natural environment and healthy communities. You can follow them on Instagram at SustainableKY and on Facebook at Sustainable.Cayman. Also, make sure to check out their Facebook group, Wetlands Thrive, Life Survives, and their cool jingle competition that's on right now. You can win a little bit of money for that um, and make a lasting contribution. So make sure to check out our filmed episodes over on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Protecting Paradise KY. And remember, you cannot care unless you know. So now you've got your base of information. Go out there and do something with it. And we will see you next week.